So my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really grateful that you're here today. I love the fact that we get to gather together as followers of Christ. If you're an empty nester and you haven't decided whether to come to the game night tonight, come. It's going to be great. My wife and I are going to be there. I'm a terrible game player, so you can win. And, you know, it's like, it's great. Just tell me you want to win the game. I'll, I'll throw it. I don't care. Just come and join us, okay? It's going to be a fun time. And thanks for being here, all, all of you, whether you're an empty nester or not. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, it's a gift to be able to gather together and worship Christ together. You know, it's a gift to be able to stand up and sing to God and go, this is my heart. This is my expression, God, to you. That's a gift. And so I appreciate that gift that we have and that we get to uh, celebrate Christ. I appreciate, one of the things I appreciate most about my Christian faith, my faith in Jesus, is that out of all the religions in the world, it is the only one that is founded completely on grace. Where God reaches out to us, he goes, come on in. I know you got brokenness. I know you got stuff going on. I get it. And I love you anyway, and I invite you in. And we're going to talk about some of what that looks like and some of what that means today as we go along through Scripture. But I just, that's kind of the stuff that I'm noodling with these days as I'm thinking about my own faith and my own faith journey with him, God's grace. Listen to this statement from the Apostle Paul. He says, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, in our culture, that might not mean a lot to us because we've never been slaves. We've had slaves and we've had slavery in our history. And that's, not, that's been a dark period in our history. But, but that was 150 years ago. And we go, no, 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 we don't have slavery anymore. And I'm not a slave. I'm, I'm free. It's a free country. Yet there are some ways in our lives that we carry on and we live out and, and we get ourselves into a situation where the Bible would say, you're living as slaves. But it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And I want to help us today to walk into that freedom, to be able to live in that freedom that God calls us to, that he invites us to, that he paved the way for, for us. We're in a series called uh, Wishing Well. And it's not about throwing money in a, in, a, in a round thing with water. And it's not about that. I mean, that's cool. That's fun. You know, whatever. If you, if you don't want to do that, that's great. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the idea that God wishes us well. And not like he's wishful, like, I hope it goes well for you. I, I'm not sure, but I hope it does. Not like that. God never does that. But he does wish us well. In fact, he doesn't just wish us well. He works for good in our lives. New Testament states that, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that we might become conformed to the image of Christ. So God is working for our good every day of our lives, every second of our lives, every breath we take in and breathe out, God is working for our good. Now, we're doing this series, and we've got a lot of topics that we're talking about. If you've missed one, go back and, and pick it up, check, check out what you've missed so you kind of get the whole flow of what we're talking about. Today, we're going to take the next step, and I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of excited about today's talk, but I'm really excited about next week's talk. But I, like, I can't get to next week's talk until we go through this week's talk. Next week's talk is about generosity, and uh, you're never more free than when you're free to give. And it's such a gift to be able to, to give. Somebody said, who was it who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive? Who, who, who was that? This would be one of those times, you know, you're sitting in church, you're like, I don't really know the, the answer, but I think it's church, so it's probably Jesus. 
Like, oh, that ought that be the right answer. Yeah, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if that's true, you're never more free than when you're free to give. There's just something about generosity that's a beautiful thing. And, and we love to be generous, but we're not always able to do it because sometimes our choices keep us from being generous. Sometimes our background keeps us from being generous. Sometimes our circumstances keep us from being generous, but there are ways to plan to build generosity into our lives. And I believe that's what God has for us. I believe it's what he calls us to. So next week, we're going to talk about what I'm calling expansive generosity, not expensive generosity. It could be, but expansive. There's some amazing scriptures that talk about God and his expansive generosity to us. And then how do we, how do we turn around and practice that ourselves? So that's where we're going next week. But today we're going to talk about uh, the, like the precursor to that. We're going to talk today about a little four-letter word. Do you, and I know you try not to say them. Do you say this one? Debt. You ever count those letters up? It's four. It's one of those words. So, see, the problem is generosity is an option based on freedom. You only really get to be fully, expansively generous when you have freedom to do, to do that. And when you have debt, it keeps you from being that free. Debt is an opposite to freedom. And yet in our culture, our culture promotes debt, our our, our culture sells debt. Our culture markets debt like it was a good thing for you. We probably all know the problem with debt. We, some, of, some of you know the problem with debt academically. Like you, you went to school, you got a business degree, you understand finance and, and saving and investment. And you, you understand all those pieces and you know, you, you've never had debt in your life and you go, I know it's such a bad thing. I've never gotten myself into it. There's probably like three of you in the room that are like that. And the rest of us know how bad debt can be experientially. Because we get the bill every month, every month, every month. That bill comes due and I got to pay that one a little bit again. I got to make the minimum payment again. And what we don't realize is we get those bills every day and, and something goes on in our, we think it's going on in our intestinal tract. You know, our gut tightens up like, oh, here's that payment again. And it's, what's interesting, I and mean, we'll find out today from scripture, it's not just your intestinal tract, it's your soul that gets jacked up. When you're in debt. That's part of why you feel that when those bills come. You go, oh, I've got to pay that one again. I'm never going to get out from under this mountain. It affects your soul. Scripture says it. If you have your Bible, why don't you open up to Proverbs chapter 22. Uh, if you don't have a paper Bible with you, you can use your smartphone. We've got the YouVersion Bible app on there. and We've got these scriptures pulled out for you there. Um, by the way, how many of you, when, when you're in church and I say, take, take out your Bibles, how many of you are already pulling out your smartphone? Oh, that's fantastic. It's a little disconcerting for me, I have to tell you. Uh, used to be when I'd say, take out your Bible and open up to a certain place, I hear all these pages going, and now I go, open up your Bible and I hear, like they need an app to go with the version app that makes just a page turning sound. That'd be helpful to me. So anyway, Proverbs chapter 22, verse seven, here's what Solomon wrote about debt. He said, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. 
The borrower is slave to the lender. I have, I have this bad temptation in my heart right now. I, I, want, I want to ask you to do something, but I can't ask you to do it because it wouldn't be true of those three people who learned academically not to have debt, so I, I can't really make you. But I want you all to say to the person next to you, like, just tell the person next to you, I'm a slave. But don't because, you know, it might not be true of you, but it might be true of everyone around you. I'm not really sure. Most of us, that's true. The borrower is slave to the lender, and it starts to wreak havoc on our soul. In Nehemiah, a book in the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 5, there's a story of the people of Israel, and they had been in this covenant relationship with God, and they'd been living in the promised land, but God made this deal with them, this covenant with them. He said, look, I'm going to put you in this land. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be absolutely amazing, but while you're there, I want you to honor me. I want you to obey me. And when they went in, they were like, yeah, 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 we'll do it. But once they got there, they're like, yeah, not so much. And they stopped obeying God. They stopped honoring God. They started worshiping all these other gods. And God said, look, we made a, prompt, we made a deal together, and you're not keeping your deal, so I'm going to keep my deal. You have to leave the land. And for 70 years, the people of Israel were in captivity in the land of Babylon, And they weren't slaves exactly. They were free to work and things like that, but they were not free to come home. 70 years they spent there. That means some people that were living as Jews in Babylon were not born in in Judah or Israel, and they didn't ever make it back there because they died before the nation got to come back to their home. 70 years they're off in captivity. Finally, after 70 years, they're allowed to return to their land. And when they come back... They rebuilt the temple because it had been burned. And then they rebuilt the walls around the city of Jerusalem. That's primarily what the story of Nehemiah is about. But there's some conflict that goes on with the people of Israel. Once they get back to the land, because of debt, conflict because of debt. Here's the story, Nehemiah 5, verse 1. It says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. And still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Our fields and our vineyards belong to others. We're selling our children into slavery. And our fields and our vineyards belong to others. The greater your debt, the less your freedom. But you know all that. If you don't know it academically, you know it experientially, you know it in here. And so look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. That's the verse that I started with today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
It is for freedom that Christ set us free. There's an intention to our redemption. So Jesus came along and he lived this beautiful, holy life. He died on a cross to rescue us, to return us into good standing with God. His intention for that redemption was to set us free. He wants us to live lives of freedom. And it's so beautiful when you've been in slavery or when you've been in captivity and when you've been in bondage to suddenly be let free. It's beautiful. My wife told me a few months ago, she, she goes, we, we could pay off our mortgage. Like I know, we got, you know, we got several months still to go. We've been working on it for 30 years, you know, and no, no, we can, we can pay it off. Like we can pay it off next month. And, uh, and she, she manages our finances in our household. So I'm, I would have thought that she would like, we're just going to keep paying and paying until the last one, like get up to the end and then, you know, have a little party or something. She goes, no, we're going we're gonna to pay it off. So we found out there's a, we, we go to a bank and we could, we could write a check and, and pay the whole thing off, right? So we go into this bank. It's a bank we'd never been to before. You know, we, we, got the, we got the loan. Someone sold the mortgage to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else, and then ended up in a bank that we've never been to. So she goes, we're gonna, I'm, she goes I'm going to go to the bank and I'll, I'll just take care of it. I'm going, you're not doing that without me. I mean, that's like one of the biggest days in our lives. We're going to pay off our mortgage. I'm going with you. So we go down to the bank that we've never been to before. And, and you know, I got my camera out because I'm like, woohoo, we're paying off our mortgage. This is so great. So Donna's writing the check. She got the checkbook out, which we never even use anymore. She's writing a check. And we got this 23-year-old banker who graduated like three months ago from college. And he's got this, you know, he's probably thinking he's got this elderly couple sitting across from him, you know, it's like, well, look at those old dudes, you know, what's their problem? They're all happy. I'm like, dude, we're paying off our mortgage. So we wrote him the check. He gave us the receipt. Boom, done. And we went outside. You know what we did? We danced on the sidewalk. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, whatever that thing looks, I don't know what, it, you know. Right on. Why? Because we've been captive for 30 years. And we've been working on that thing and working on that thing and working on that thing and it does something in your soul. I'm not saying it's bad to have a mortgage. I'm saying it's sweet to pay it off. I'm not saying it's bad necessarily to have debt, but it does put you in slavery and it binds up your life. And when you get free, you can dance on the sidewalk. Wouldn't you rather dance on the sidewalk than have handcuffs on the rest of your life? The Apostle Paul describes some of the features of this in his letter to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes these words. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's writing to Gentile people, people that are not Jewish. He says, when those things were true, God made you alive with Christ. You were dead and he made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, and he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He said, when you were dead, which is interesting, in some ways, that's how death feels. It can suck the life out of us. That's the spiritual nature of death. It can literally suck the life out of us. He says, when you were dead, this is what Jesus did. Jesus came along to give you life. 
And what does that feel like? When he gives you life, what does that feel like? Well, he describes it. He says one of the things that Jesus did for us when he went to the cross was he forgave us. And if you've been hanging around Jesus for a while, you go, yeah, yeah, I get the forgiveness thing. And yet I get up every morning, I go, oh, God, I need to be forgiven again today. I go to bed every night and go, oh, God, I need to be forgiven again today. The, the normal word in the Bible that is used for, for the idea of forgiving, of forgiveness, is a Greek word, aphiemi. When Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it in the Greek language. So this word, aphiemi, it's a word that means to release something, to let it go. You, have, you ever, have you ever messed up so badly in one of your human relationships that you had to go to that person and you had to say, you know, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? You ever had to do that? I don't mean just, the, I don't just mean you mess up a little bit like you go, I'm sorry, never do it again, okay, bye, out. Not like, not like that. I'm talking like you messed up enough where you go, I need to be forgiven. Will you forgive me? And the other person says, I will. I forgive you. What is that? That's release. They let it go, and you can let it go. That's life. That's what Jesus came to give. And yet... In this passage, that's not the word that Paul used when he wrote about forgiveness. It's not just release. The word that he used is the Greek word charizomai, which means to forgive with joy. Charizomai comes from the same root word as the word joy and the word grace. Jesus said, I'm going to pour my grace out on on you. I'm going to forgive you with joy. Jesus didn't forgive you going, I had to go to the cross to make that happen, you know. No, he's like, I forgive you with joy. It's a gift, and he wants to give the gift, and he's not under compulsion to give the gift. He gave it freely. He gave it happily. He gave his life for us joyfully. Forgiveness is joy. And then he goes on, Paul says, he, he, he says, and he canceled he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. I love that this, the, all the things he's talking about regarding our redemption and our salvation, he's using metaphors of finance. He's using, using metaphors of debt. He goes, he canceled the legal indebtedness that we had. And to, to cancel here means to cause to cease by obliterating any evidence. He caused our debt to God, to cease by canceling, by obliterating any evidence of it. Wiped it out. And then it says, and he has taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. Taken it away is a word that means to lift something up. He's, he's taken it from us. He's lifted it from us. You know, when you, carry, when you carry debt, we call it a burden. We call it a burden of debt. It weighs on us. And Jesus comes along and he says, let me, let me take that off your shoulders. Let me take that off your back. And he lifts it up. When we were traveling in Israel a couple months ago now, uh, we went to a little farm in Nazareth. Nazareth was, Nazareth was the hometown of Jesus, you remember. 
and there's this little farm. It, it's, they've, it's kind of a commercialized thing, but they've, they've created some places where they show, they display what the agricultural processes look like in Jesus' time. And so, you know, we saw how they crushed the olives in the olive press and different things like that. It's like, oh, that's really interesting. But the thing I was most excited to see there was they had grapes growing there. Now, we're, in the, we're like kind of in the heart of the California um, grape industry, right? The vineyard industry, wine, wine and all the stuff that goes on. And, and so we see this all over. You can't drive very far from Folsom without seeing vineyards. And we have a way of growing grapes in, in California. We, we plant the vines, but then we, we, we string out these long rows of wires up off the ground, maybe four or five feet off the ground. And the grapevines grow up and they grow across the wires. And then the, the leaves are in the light and in the sun and the air. And then the grapes grow and they're, they're productive, they're beautiful, and they're abundant. And that's how it works great. But in Jesus' generation, that's not how they did it. In Jesus' generation, when they grew grapes, they just planted the vine and let it grow up on the ground. Just grew wherever it wanted on the ground. And sometimes the vine dresser, the gardener, would come along and he would see that the, grape, the grapes weren't producing. And so he'd take those, those grape vines and he'd get a rock or a stick and he'd prop the grape vine up on a stick and he'd, and he'd sweep off the leaves because the, when they're lying on the ground, the dirt begins to cover them. And then when it, when, it, when it rains and it becomes mud and it covers the leaves and that whole photosynthetic thing doesn't work very well. There's a story in John chapter 15 where Jesus describes himself as the vine. John 15, verse 1, it says this. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Unfortunately, those, those, that, those verses have been some of the most frightening verses to Christians over the, over the last few hundred years. Uh, because it, it, it takes this, this phrase and it calls it cuts off. It says he cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit. And we're like, no, 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 Jesus, I'll bear fruit. I promise, don't cut me off. We're like, like writers, they say writers, there's a, there's a slogan for writers, publish or perish. And it's like for Christians, there's this thing, produce or perish. Like if you don't produce fruit, boom, he's cutting you off. But that's not the word. It's an unfortunate translation. It's the same word that it describes in Colossians chapter 2 where it says he takes it away. He lifts it up. What Jesus is saying is I'm the vine. My father's the gardener. When he sees one of the branches lying in the ground like they would grow grapes back then and he sees it's not working, it's not being productive because it's all dirty and covered with mud, he lifts it up. He cleans it. And he lifts it up and he gets it up in the sunlight where it can bear fruit. God looks at our lives. He's not interested in cutting you off. He's not about cutting you off. He's about lifting you up. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. He paid our debt. He canceled out the the debt, the legal indebtedness that we have And he has taken it away. He has lifted it up, nailing it to the cross. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. In every area of our lives, 
God wants to set us free in every area. God wants to set us free spiritually. That's why Jesus came. God wants to set us free emotionally. That's why Jesus came. God wants to set us free relationally. That's why Jesus came. God wants to set us free financially. That's why Jesus came. I mean, you look at any area of your life, and Jesus came to set us free in that area. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. But how does that work in our finances? And how does that work when we get enslaved to debt? Where do I start? Now, I know there's three of you that, like, this, this message doesn't apply to you. It's like, okay, fine. But for the rest of us, for whom it applies, how do I, how do I go there? How do I, how do I get that freedom with Christ? Well, let's back up and start at the beginning. The story of the scriptures, the story that we believe in, is a story that says Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived a holy, holy, holy life. And then he willingly gave up his life on a cross. Nobody took his life. He gave it. He gave it up. And the reason he gave it up was to give you freedom forever. Any statement we talk about from Scripture, anything we talk about as followers of Jesus about debt or finances or or any of that, it all begins with my relationship with Jesus. And probably most of you in the room, you've come to a place at some point in your life where you you decided something. You said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. When Jesus walked the planet and and he called fishermen, he said, follow me. They had to decide, am I in or out? And at some point, you come to a place where you go, Jesus, I'm in. And for a lot of you, you've already taken that step. That's the beginning. For some of you, maybe you haven't got that far yet. Maybe you've been thinking about Jesus. You've been investigating Jesus. You've heard good things about him. You've heard bad things about him, whatever those things are. But maybe the more you lean into him, the more you're going, it's time for me. I want to decide for him. And that's the beginning. To say, Jesus, I decide. I surrender to you. I want you. I want the freedom that you offer. That's where it begins. And on whatever day you're ready to make that statement to him, you can make that statement. If it's today, make it today. And then take that freedom that you have in Christ and decide to live that out in every area of your life. Today we're talking about finances, but you can talk about relationships. You can talk about your emotions, your psychology. You can take every area of your life and then decide to live that freedom out that Jesus offered you. Live it. And so if it comes to finances, which is what we're talking about, how do, how do you take that freedom that Jesus gives and begin to live that out? How do you apply the freedom of Christ to our debt problem? Here's some steps, I would say. Number one, stop borrowing trouble. Isn't it interesting? We have a little phrase for, for this, for, you know, bad news. We call it borrowing trouble. We, we, could, just, we could cut off the trouble part and have the same concept Stop borrowing. I, I know, I know it's un-American to stop borrowing. I, I know that. I know everyone, everything you see on television all year long, and especially during the holidays, is telling you, you, sh- you should borrow more. 
You, you, should, you, know, you should borrow more. So we host this thing every year called Financial Peace University. It's led by Dave Ramsey. Most of you have heard his name if you've not been to the program. Uh, but he, he invites everyone who participates in the program to cut up their credit cards. You know, I know some of you were thinking about going to Financial Peace in January and you just decided not to. What do you mean? Cut up my credit cards. What am I going to have in my... What's in your wallet? Nothing. You know, I, what am I going to do if I don't have credit cards? We have, we have glass containers up in the office of a bunch of cut up credit cards over years of people going, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to live out my freedom in Christ. Stop borrowing. Trouble. Start at Christmas. This is, this is like the best, hardest, but best season to start. What if you decided, I'm not going to go into slavery to give gifts? The person that you're going to give a gift to, do you think if they had an option like, like, give me a gift and go into slavery, or don't give me a gift, but stay free, what do you think they'd choose for you? If they loved you, which means if they're worthy of receiving a gift from you, they'd say, hey, don't go into slavery for me. Don't go into bondage for me. Live free. What if we all decided at Christmas, we'll give gifts, beautiful, but we'll give gifts that we don't have to go into debt for. We'll we'll give gifts that we don't have to die for. Jesus already died for us to give that gift. Stop borrowing trouble. Because generosity is an option based on freedom. And then, start paying your debt. Like you want to live in freedom, but you got this pile of debt? Well, okay, start paying that off. You go, I I do, I I make the minimum payment every month. Good job. You'll die doing that. If it doesn't kill you, you'll just die slowly paying off the minimum balance on your debt. So again, Dave Ramsey has been a great coach for me on this. He, he encourages what he calls the, the debt snowball. You heard this? So maybe you got more than one debt. Some of you only have one debt. Some of you only have a mortgage. That's fantastic. Or some of you, you know, you, you, maybe a mortgage in a car. I don't know what. But so, some have like more than two debts. Don't, you, you, this is not interactive. You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about it. So, but like, so here's the debt snowball. It says, take all of your debts and arrange them by balance, the smallest balance down to the biggest balance. And pay the minimum payment on every one of those balances, except on the one that's the smallest debt. See, the goal is pay that baby off. Pay it off as fast as you possibly can, because when you do, you know what's going to happen? You, what's going to happen? You're going to dance on the sidewalk. You're gonna. It's hard, but when you but when you're free, it's easy. I don't even have to coach you on how to do it. You just go out and like, it's done. It's awesome. So take take the smallest balance debt and pay the minimum, but scrounge through your budget. You have a budget? That's another talk. Uh, let's see. Scrounge through somewhere. Scrounge through your cushions and your couch. Scrounge somewhere. Find any bit of extra money you have and pay off on that, pay down that smallest balance debt and make the minimum on, on all the others. And, and next month, when the bills come around again, 
Do the same thing with that debt. If you have to give up lattes to get free, is that worth it? And pay off that debt and then have a party on the sidewalk or wherever you like. And then take all that money you've been putting into that payment and roll it into the next smallest balance and pay that one off and have another party. And then take all the money you've been paying on those two and lump it into the next the next balance that you've got listed. Pay it into that one and do all that and have another. You're going to be the partiest person you know. And pay them off and get to that last one. Come to my house. We'll, have, we'll, we'll dance on the sidewalk with you. Because it was for freedom that Christ set us free. In January, we're going to host another rendition of Financial Peace University. If you've been through it and you need a refresher, come and join us again. If you've never been through it, come and join us for it. It's so helpful. It is one of the most practical tools we offer at Lakeside to help you take another step in your journey with Christ. And it seems so mundane. It seems so far from being spiritual. But when you realize how much debt constricts our soul, you realize exactly how spiritual our money can be. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Jesus, I pray for us that we would live like that. Well, Lord, with this many people in a room, there's a lot of different places we are with our money. And I, I understand that, Lord, and I don't know where everyone is with it today, but I, I do know where you want us to be. I do know you want us to be free with it. I do know you want us to be generous with it. And Lord, I believe that most of us, that's the desire we have in our heart. We just get stuck. We're not free. So Lord, would you, would you work in us, in each one of us? Would you work in us as a group, as a church, to do these things that would live out the freedom that you've given to us in our soul, that you would let us live that out in our wallet? so we would be free indeed. Lord, thank you. We honor you together today. We love you. We appreciate you. Amen.